Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I have a wonderful repeat guest, Joel Sonneman, and his wonderful co-author in a beautiful new book that we're going to be talking about today, Molly Singh. And they've written a book that is Infinite Love and Money. Well, you can ask the question, does love and money go together? And we can see a very misconstrued view of it in our relationships, in the way we look at people who are rich, where we look at money altogether. So how do you find infinite love and money? Well, it's a must read for anyone who wants to understand the love of their partner more deeply while learning to become financially free. Molly and Joel provide a fabulous mixture of spiritual tools, practical ideas, exercising for harnessing your emotions and beliefs, as well as aligning your financial thoughts towards your dreams. You will understand the different different money personality types. Oh, I'm intrigued about that one and how to benefit from. This book will help you make financial dreams become your financial reality. Uh, couldn't recommend this book more highly, says Mike Dooley from the New York Times bestselling author of Infinite Possibilities. So what a fabulous title to start off with, because when you do think about love and money, you don't necessarily think about relationships, right? And when you bring money into an equation of love in a relationship, even in a business, there's always going to be some friction. And it's how can you use money as the tool, you know, as the seeding in, in which to grow your collective dreams. We can lose sight of that, can't we? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. My Thank pleasure. You. Thanks so much for having us, Sarah. It's a great, great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's good to have you back again. Okay, we fall in love. Our hearts are beating. Everything is flustering and we're going to tie the knot and we're going to live together. And now we look at the money and we have two different conflicts. All right, so there the friction starts. How do you actually not uh, get the friction in there and kind of have that talk about money? Because it very often is just not a talk we know how to speak with each other, is it? Who wants to go first? Well, I'll go first if you don't mind, Joel. So Joel, in the first chapter, we talk about um, our personalities, our many personalities. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the second, once we know who we are as a person, then we can better guide ourselves and our partners through how we handle things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we do in our subsequent chapters is talk about our me money memories and money terms and how do we feel about this term? Because I can say happy or I can say, hey, how do you feel about life? I can have a very different viewpoint than you do or than anyone else does. And I think that money has actually been studied and there's over 200 different emotions attached to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we try and walk people through, how do you feel about this? What does this mean to you? These are the questions that we probe and try to facilitate uh, conversations. 
Mm, we don't realize that the way we're brought up, even the way our parents look at money rubs off on us, right? And it, it becomes our worth or our lack of worth. And if you're bringing that to the equation, then yeah, I think how to have that conversation. Um, because money can be a very big issue, you know, the prospectus of it. Personality types, I'm a true colors coach. So those four key personality types, when you know yourself, you know what you're bringing to the table, right, Joe? Absolutely. So we go through in the book, uh, we created, Molly and I created seven money personality types. And, and what we say in the book, and I, I, I think it's, um, I think Benjamin Hardy, Dr. Benjamin Hardy wrote a book called Personalities and Permanent. So we talk about the fact that, yes, you may have a primary money personality type, but that may change. Mm-hmm. It may change in circumstances. It may change if you're single, married, divorced, and it may change over your lifetime. So yes, take the survey. We have the survey in the book and people want the survey, we'll provide it to them, but know that you should do it again and again. Yeah. Because three months from now or a year from now or five years from now, you may say, okay, you know, our acronym for the money personality types, seven money personality types is sugar pie. So S stands for the splurger. You may be a splurger now, but then, you know, that may be your primary money personality type now, but maybe in a few years, you're the I in sugar pie, the investor. So you may shift over time and knowing what you are and knowing what your partner is will improve your communication and your relationship. You have to know who you are because that's what you're bringing to the table. Uh, we, we will go about kind of doing our self-discovery on our emotions and things we need to let go, or the way we look at life. But again, when it comes to either career choices or money, um, we're coming together, how is that money going to be spent? Where are we going to invest it? What's important to us? Again, it's a conversation that seems to be very difficult for people to have. Uh, no matter what their personality is, because there's a little bit of faux pas around it, isn't it? Oh, if you love me, money doesn't matter. But then if you don't talk about the money, I promise you it's going to affect the love. <laughs> right, Molly? It will absolutely affect the love. And, you know, it, it, that's just it. That, that's what we go into in the book is to, how do you feel about this word right now? Mm. How would you like it to change in the upcoming year? How has it changed in the previous year? So we recommend to go through not just the money personality types uh, quiz, but to reevaluate yourself, but to also reevaluate how you feel about certain words at certain times, because you got to do a check-in. Yeah, You have to see, you know, things happen. We, you know, if someone changes a job or gets a promotion, so do, how does that affect uh, how we feel about money or vacations or investing in a home, et cetera. Yeah, really, really important. I think yeah. one of the, the things that becomes a really big issue in, in a relationship is when money becomes someone's worth. Yes. And, you know, I remember having a client and his his wife had achieved something really wonderful, but it wasn't really bringing in the money. And he said, yeah, what about the money? What about the money? When I said to him, where's the value here? Is it on the money she brings it in or is it on the achievement that she has got? She's abundant right now. Right. Absolutely abundant. Celebrate that abundance. The money will come. But if you're only focusing on the money, then you're demeaning her achievement. 
right? And this is something we've got to be very careful. I know money is important, but there are so many other things that are important that are enriching and abundant as well. And we must celebrate them and not put a price tag on them. Joel? No, absolutely. In fact, I was having a conversation just earlier today with a client about abundance and mindset and, and knowing your own mindset around money. And, and we talk mm. about the millionaire mindset, right? You, if, you know, we, I think we talk about the fact that lottery winners, yeah, right? 95% of lottery winners five years after they've won the lottery have less money than the day before they won the lottery. And the reason is because of the mindset, right? They, they don't have the belief that they're worthy yeah. of the money that they have. And so you have to create the mindset first, have that abundant mindset first before the money comes in, because when the money comes in, if you don't have that mindset, it's just going to go right back out. There's the guilt factor too, isn't there, Molly? You know, you've got money and, and that could be in a relationship. You know, one is making more money than the other. And you can either feel guilty for it or I'm not contributing enough or we're not equal. And again, the money should not be where the basis of the relationship is, but it, it does. Often it does. And that we do dive into this into the book in regards to your emotions and how do you feel about something first? And then, you know, let's talk about this. And we, we even go into when there's differences, it's of course, wonderful to have differences because opposites attract, right? Yeah. And so- You want to have a conversation. Yeah, it's not all be exactly the same. Right. Yeah. We talk about how to have those types of conversations when it comes around to money and value, et cetera. Yeah. There may be some hot buttons, mm -hmm. some words, or some things that happened in your past that create an emotion of anger, of fear, of worry. And we go into this in the book because you may have some, you know, your background may be different from your partner's background and some, those could be triggers. Those words could create massive fear for whatever reason. And it's important to have the conversation, not just say, okay, you know, hold it in and not actually have the conversation, yeah. communicate with your partner. Communication on any level is always exceptionally important. And um, I've interviewed a lot of people that, you know, really reached the top of their game, made an awful lot of money. And, you know, along came the cosmic two by four and said, you know, you're, you're never seeing your family. You've got a big house you're never at. You've got a car you never drive because you're working 18 hours a day, you know? So where's the enrichment? You've got money in the bank, but you've lost your family. And, you know, one of them had a heart attack and he looked upon it as a gift. And he literally moved everything down, everything down to a smaller scale and re-wooed his wife. They got back together because he, he the person she fell in love with, he became again because he wasn't chasing that illusion and that expectation. I think that's a conversation that you definitely need to have when you're in a relationship, isn't it? What are your goals? What are you prepared to give up for them? And, you know, uh, where do I fit into that equation? Because if you've got somebody that's really, really out for something, you get, may get left behind. Yeah, you may. Uh, that's, that's the key, right, is to ask those questions. And, and we, we tried very hard to offer some suggestions of topics to ask. And, of course, career is definitely one of them. You should definitely talk about 
whose career path is going to take precedence mm. if one has to. Yes. If one doesn't, then that's fine. Um, I, I know a couple, I'm working with a couple, one who lives in, they, they just moved to California and to Southern California and um, the husband got a job in um, Northern California and they just moved their children there. So they said, okay, fine. And then the wife got uh, promoted and she's working out of Mexico. Oh gosh. So who's raising the kids? Yes. <laughs> How do you talk about this? Yep. Who's going to take this back step? Who's going to say, okay, you know, are we moving again? When are we moving again? How do we feel about this? But, and those are the types of conversations that we've um, put in as examples and to initiate those conversations. How do you feel? And we don't necessarily give answers. No. We, we ask you, we ask the couple who are going into this to have the conversation with each other. Yeah, we talk about what does financial freedom mean to you? Yeah. yeah. Because financial freedom may mean something completely different to each of the partners in the couple. I have my view, but it may not be the partner's view. And so what, what's your perspective? You know, what's, what's retirement mean to you? Mm -hmm. Is retirement mean, like, I think for both Molly and I, we talk about how passionate we are about traveling, Yes. Yeah. but it may not mean that for certain people in retirement, they may not, they may just want to stay at home. They may not want to travel the world, right? So knowing that and having that discussion to say, what does retirement mean to you? What does it look like? What's your, you know, what's your ideal day in retirement? What's your ideal weekend or week in retirement? You know, having that conversation and people do change over time. Maybe you have that conversation at 30 and maybe you have it again at 40 and you have a completely different conversation. Well, when you start off, it's, you know, I, I want the fast car, or maybe the boat, and we're going to travel the world, right? And then kids come along. And then it's like, you know, the kids' education, the kids' health, the kids' everything else. And then it is, okay, I want to have time with the kids, you know, <laughs> because I'm not getting that. So we really, my daughter's just had a baby, and her husband took two months off work. And, you know, raising that kid together, I mean, the two of them, you know what it's like with new babies, you never sleep, so it's rotation sleep. And it's wonderful to see him really being that hands-on dad, but it's only because he elected to take that time off to do it, to be immersed in it. I think we're seeing in our millennials and a lot younger people, their priorities are totally different to us when we were growing up. And it is more about family. It is more about, you know, kind of building a future where everyone is together and less about kind of chasing that um, illusion of what we think sh we should have. So it can be interesting to be a fly on the wall, wouldn't it, at the 30s, 40s and 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Well, congratulations on becoming a grandparent. Oh, That's awesome. Yes. Oh, I can't get enough of him. He's, he's getting into that <laughs> smiley stage, you know, which is wonderful. Aww. So, yeah. Um, and it kind of it flashbacks to when you first had kids and what was important to you. And you, you know, I'm so far removed from that now. All my kids are in thirties plus and, and it's like, who I was then and what was a priority and what's a priority now is very different. I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, in my 60s, I want to do this and do that. Um, but here I am, circumstances change and you have to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the fear of the money talk, even if it's with yourself, yes, you can have that conversation, but there's still 
that stigma, that fear that, you know, do I have enough to retire? You know, do I have enough to sustain myself in this world that is forever getting more expensive? What are the priorities? And emotions you talk about, you know, it's very easy to get emotional about that topic. It is very easy. I think one of the things going, um, just going back is when we talk about our dreams and our desires, because we do touch on this and we ask that you align yourself to your dreams and your desires, because I can absolutely desire the fast car. And, And really I have at one point in my life desired that fast car. But the truth be told is my actual dream is to have the lifestyle that that would afford me. So if I wanted the fast car, I could have it. So what's going to actually feed both? And and that's where our feelings and our emotions come in for what is that dream? What feeling does that dream give to you? So how does that, or desire give to you? So how can that help your dream? Absolutely. I apologize, Molly, for talking about it. Yeah, we, we talk, ultimately, I think everyone's striving for happiness. Yes. Right, the feeling of happiness. And they believe that if they get the fast car, they'll be happier. They right. believe that they go on the dream vacation, they'll be happier. But, you know, we all know about law of attraction, that if you're happy now, you create the feeling of happiness now, then what you want comes into your life. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the opposite. Create the feeling of happiness now. And you can do that many different ways. We talk about that in the book, many ways to do that as well. And by, by the way, getting, getting to back to the kids and, and talking about that, we do have a chapter in this book, Infinite Love of Money, Your Kid's Money, because it mm. is important to have a conversation about allowances, yes. about how your priorities are, college education, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, what's more important for the couple? in their minds, college education, saving for retirement. We have that question in the book and there's, there's no right answer necessarily, but have the conversation. Yeah, I had somebody on actually um, this last week uh, who helps people get into college. And he said, it's, it's the top 5% of that college, but that doesn't mean they're going, you know, of school, that doesn't mean they're going to get into the college of their choice because uh, there's so few spots and, you know, obviously money needs to be there for that but they start preparing those kids from grade eight up Mm -hmm. into getting you know the getting because it's not just a question my grades are good enough here i go you know that you're you're selling yourself to that university right Mm -hmm. and along with it unless you get a scholarship is that you know there's going to be a massive dollar tag to that so yes we all want our kids to go to university but the question is are they university material Will they really actually um, apply themselves? Is it something that they really need to do in their life? Or is there apprenticeship or is is it travel? Is it whatever else? Because we want this for our kids, but do they want it for themselves? Absolutely. It's a great conversation. Sorry, Sorry, Molly. Yeah, I'm just going to say it's a great conversation to have because the assumption is that it, it's it's a, an assumption from 50 years ago or longer mm-hmm. that you have to go to a good school mm-hmm. to get a good job to get rich. Yes. And in today's world, there's a lot of people that 
look, I think education is very important, but yeah. you can get educated many different ways. And yeah. Does it have to be at one of the best colleges and to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars? Can you be successful in life without going to one of the best colleges and getting the best job? Maybe you're an entrepreneur or maybe you're doing, you know, you're in the arts, right? Uh, my oldest daughter, Lauren, is an amazing actor and singer and dancer. And is there a possibility that she can do something with that versus, you know, spending a large amount of money in college? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be college material and you've got to want to be there because, you know, I think the days of just affording it to be a big party, you know, is kind of out of reach nowadays because it's so astronomically expensive now. And used to be that, you know, the lawyer, the doctor, you know, those were the important careers that you had to have, the prestige ones, no longer, right? So we're seeing IT, <laughs> the nerds are taking over, so, and they don't necessarily need to go to university for that. So, you know, just as much as we need to know our own personality, we need to know that of our children. Right. We actually shape our children. And, and that's one of the conversations we encourage to have is because it, and also it affects you as well, because mm -hmm. as children, we take them out, we stimulate their interests, we fund their interests. You know, as Joel said, dance class and and acting class and singing class and all these things or sports or whatever it is, we fund those things and yes. we make the time for that. The idea that we present in our in our book, Infinite Love and Money, is to also bring that interest, those interests into your own life, bring them mm. back into your own life and realize you need to have dreams and desires as well. It can't just be about your child. I mean, yes, of course that's important, but it, it has to be, it ha there has to be a balance. You have to be example for your child. And I was the sacrificial mom. You know, it, it was everything for the children and, you know, nothing left for me until it was my own kids that go, mom, you know, it's it's time for you, you know, because you're just living for us and uh, there's no life for you. And it, it passes you by so fast and you kind of forget. Um, the other important thing is, I think, yeah, we're going to be in our self-discovery until the day we die, because there's always something new to discover about ourselves. But if you look at our children and look to what they're really good at, what they really commit to, what they really love doing, and you nurture that, keep watering and nurturing that, you'll see that that most likely will lead to the career they want to be. They're going to be everything else in between, firemen, rocket ship, you name it, they're, they're going to dabble in that. But what they're really core good at, nurture that because that will lead them somewhere. We want to impose an expectation on them instead of looking at the gift they already are. I love that you mentioned that, Sarah, because one of the things that we talk about in the book is what was your dream as a child? What do you mm. want to be as a child? Is it a fireman? Is it a this? And then we ask you to trace your child to adolescence, to adulthood. What are the similarities? Okay, you wanted to be a superhero. Why? What is it that you need to nurture in your adult life that that will help you in that feel, giving you that feeling of being a superhero. I mean, can so, all be a superhero? Every single one of us, and anything that we do, right? Every one of us. Yeah. I mean, you know, give some time back. I mean, yeah. Joel talks about this a lot, giving time back. And, you know, so we talk about that. 
Well, yeah, giving is. Friend. Yeah, giving is. Uh, it's it's actually one of the rules in my my prior book, the nine money rules. Mm-hmm. But we talk about the importance of giving because, you know, money is just energy. Yes. And if you're if you're like the hoarder, right? There's there's one of the one of the uh, the shigapai yeah. is um the protectionist. So they're just protecting their money, but they're not putting it out into the world. Right. Right. And so that's like a big extreme. And that's not good either. Right. If you're just protecting your money and you're not doing some splurges, you're not putting it, you're not giving it out to some favorite charity, or maybe it's just, it could be even just giving your time like Molly and her husband do. I mean, like it's, that is critical part of the importance of money, because if you're not putting it out into the world, it can't flow back to you. If you're just hoarding it, there's no flow. You're just a miser. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, you know, the whole thing about having money is it's, it is an energy. It's a flow. Keep seeding it, keep watering it, let it grow for others as well, which is really important. And, you know, time, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, we're all on the same clock. And, you know, there is only so much money you can make a day, unless, of course, you know, you're Bill Gates, (laughs) and a few others up there that are just making millions every second. But there are few and far between of those. And the giving of your time to other people without any financial uh, expectation next to it, I think is one of the greatest gifts you can give of yourself. 100% agreed. And it always comes back, doesn't it? In some other way, it always comes back. It really does. Um, Back to the personality types, you know, um, as you said, you've got the hoarder, you know, the the person that, you know, it never is enough in the bank and they worry about spending anything. I had an uncle like that. I mean, his wife and he would share a cup of tea instead of affording two cups of tea, always saving for the rainy day, but never enjoying the sun of today right? Because they're worried all the time. What do you do if you fall in love with someone and you find out they're the holder, you know, and you're the spender because now you've got a conflict. Where does the conversation go there? Who wants to dive into that one? I'm going <laughs> to oh, go ahead. Yes. I mean, we, we talk about this in the book because there are the benefits of having the different money personality types and you, you want to, it's, it's all about compromise and mm. adjusting your, your personality type. So yes, if you're the protectionist, there's some fear attached to money, right? Mm. There's the reason why you are the protectionist. You're not the investor. You're not the one who's the splurger. Now the splurger may have some issues too, right? Mm. But it's a different kind of mindset. It's not extreme fear. Right. They, they're cr- trying to create happiness through the spending of money, which is not helpful either. You know, it's the, the idea is be happy first, but they are trying to create the happiness through buying, making some purchase. So it, it's knowing the differences, knowing why you're feeling the way you're feeling and, and taking those actions. So, OK, you're you're the protectionist. You're hoarding because you're very fearful. What created that fear in you to begin with? Mm-hmm. Uh, do the introspection, have the conversation with your partner and then say, okay, you know, I am very fearful about money because of this. And maybe taking some steps, taking the adjustments we talk about in the book to adjust to, you know, maybe do a splurge every once, mm-hmm. a, a, once a month, you know, take 
action on the way to some of the other money personality types or to your partner's money personality type. And they can do the same. They can maybe not spend so much, but maybe do be more of a protectionist in certain ways. Do you we think have, it, Oh, sorry. No, we go have, ahead, Molly. We have um, action steps listed mm. for each one of them. We have what, what the behaviors are that they exhibit, and we also have action steps. So it's here are the action steps you can take. You know, here are the benefits, but here are some action steps so that you're not so fully committed to being a protectionist. Yeah. Here's additional, as, as Joel had mentioned. And then, you know, if you are that widely different we have a we have a whole chapter on just differences and then a separate chapter on conflict and yet a separate chapter on resolving conflict mm -hmm. so we cover that the spanning and we don't conflict is not bad no. conflict is great it, it leads to growth but it's the way you repair and the way you handle not it not confrontational and, right yeah right, right and we give some some great tools for that how to how to have your respect your differences how to understand your conflict and how to resolve you know one of the conversations that always happens with somebody gets married and you know has a career is like you know um your earnings are your earnings his earnings are his earnings and then you have a pot that you put in together but you know they always say like as an entrepreneur pay yourself first otherwise everything is sacrificial you know in a relationship would you say it doesn't matter what the the ratio of the salaries are but keep percentage for yourself it's your money do with it what you want and then you have a, a group pot that covers all the expenses of uh, the communal living is that a way to go of course i mean it's going to be what feels best to you as a couple um it just it's going to be just so dependent on how that how that makes you feel yeah Can we talk actually in the book about separate accounts mm -hmm. versus combined accounts and look there's no right answer like with all of this it, it depends on the couple and it depends on your perspective and i know what i did in you know my I, i've been divorced twice my last two marriages and I know what other, you know, some of the people I've coached are doing, and there's no right answer. It's have the conversation and what is comfortable for you and your partner. Yeah. So for some couples, it's separate and just two separate accounts. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that in either of my marriages. We did exactly what you said. We had separate and we had the community pool. And, but, you know, I, I think have the conversation, communicate and do what feels comfortable for both of you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very, very important because, uh, I mean, you know, we, we, you're going into that um, thing where, you know, a woman has a baby, time is out, the salary may have completely disappeared, especially if you're an entrepreneur, and then somebody else has to fill that up. And then there's other times that somebody wants to go and do something, you know, and it's that give and take, isn't it, which is really important. Um, there's another important thing, which I don't know if it applies in the States, but I know here, um, a friend of mine was getting divorced and she said, have your own account, because the joint account, it gave her no past credit rating at all, that it was all under his name, if it was under both of their names, it didn't count as a, a good credit for her. And she had to start all over again. Is that the same in the States? Is it? No? I don't think that it is. So yeah, I actually got this question. But no, so if you have a joint account, both your names are on it, you're both creating a, your credit score is impacted by any joint account. So if you 
if and if you have any debt. So if you have a um, a home equity loan or a mortgage, both names on the account, both are impacted. Same thing like checking accounts, savings accounts, if both names are on it. So it, if you have an account with only one person on it, then the other person obviously is not impacted. So if you have a credit card that you, you're both using, but it's only one person's name on it, then the other person is not getting the benefit or the negative impacts if there are any from that credit card. Would you recommend people do have their own account? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to create your own credit score. And we actually have a chapter in the book about how, how to improve your credit scores if you're having any difficulties with credit. So whenever here in the States, whenever you're purchasing a home, purchasing a car, well, the first thing they do, the, the first thing the finance company does is check your credit score. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately. And if it's lower, you have to pay a higher interest rate. And we actually, Molly uh, created a parable that goes through the book. And we talk about this um, and how uh, in the parable, the, the husband didn't have a good credit score. And, you know, there were whole issues with that. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that you don't have, um, you know, a health package there that covers everyone. And, you know, um, colleague of mine just recently had a, a health issue and that was 30 grand right there and she wasn't covered and which just is mind-blowing you know you, you need to get everybody under the health thing over there as fast as possible uh, because that shouldn't be an equation in a thing but it is all too often so I think the importance of saving as a couple yeah play money living money saving money because you don't know when something is going to come up that isn't covered you know either house repairs or illness or accidents or someone's out of work covid right it's it it affects um everybody but it's if we're not prepared for it and then we know that most divorces will come about through money issues the lack of or the control of that's actually why why we wrote the book, Sarah, mm. because we want, you know, in fact, Andy Dooley put it, let's see, what did Andy say? He said, uh, finally, a book that shows couples exactly how to keep the love going and the money flowing. Read this book so you can avoid an expensive divorce. Exactly. So that's why we wrote the book. We want to we wanna eliminate, you know, the number one reason for divorce, at least here in the States. And, you know, that that's that's our that's really our, our main reason writing this book and don't you wish that you had this book (laughs) before (laughs) divorce one (laughs) right the the parable that joel was referring to is actually my divorce proceedings (laughs) (laughs) so and it's all true yeah (laughs) so everything happened um it just just as i wrote it the you know with the the attorney etc so yeah yeah it's it's pretty intense. The, the financial literacy is pretty low, um, with him. And I, I kind of feel like it's pretty low with everybody. You learn through your mistakes, unfortunately, and it's not taught. So this is something we hope to do is to, is to really bring about financial literacy, at least to couples. Yeah. And it works with individuals as well, but yeah, but, but with couples that then trickles down to their children, it does because they're not taught how to manage money in school. 
Right. You know, the economics of surviving yourself. They see parents have provided the roof and the food on the table and the this and the that. And if right. we don't have them earn their money or understand where the money comes from, it's always going to be, oh, it's easy. And when it's not easy, yep. you know, that's when they don't make good decisions. So good examples are always very, very good for children to learn from. Oh, Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to also comment on the point you made about healthcare because... And, and expenses, because we do advocate having an emergency account. Mm -hmm. uh, you should have at least three to six months of your expenses covered in, quote unquote, uh, an emergency account. So just tally up your monthly expenses. You know, it's 2000 4000 U.S. dollars or Canadian dollars, whatever it is, multiply by three to six and, and put you should have that set aside and not touched. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be going in the stock market. It shouldn't be going in real estate. We talk about ways to invest. This is, you know, this is the emergency expense account for, you know, God forbid another pandemic, right? right. Like just Those put it aside and keep it there. Yeah. 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 And kind of forget about it until you need it, right? And then Hopefully it, you never need it, but you know, that's yeah. fine. It, it and if not, it's a retirement fund. Right. 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 So it's it's always working for you, which is really, really important. Um I had a thought and I lost it. Sorry. Uh, saving is, is something I think that is very hard for people because um, I mean, we talked about this on the last show, Joel, is that there's so many people just getting by. Just getting by is difficult enough. But if you can save, you know, just a fraction every month, even if it starts off in the cookie jar, you know, it's something that accumulates. And I think it's, if we could, looking at money could be so daunting. You know, the, I know what I was thinking, the avocado toast society, right? They're rather going to spend $15 on an avocado toast because they know they're never going to be able to afford a home, right? Because the houses are just so exponential nowadays. Um, but saving a little, and just keep putting it by, forgetting it, putting it by and forgetting it, putting it by and forgetting it. And then all of a sudden you look at it and go, wow, that's really accumulated. And it becomes less daunting on the saving because it's a little bit at a time. Instead of that macchiato today, I'm going to take that money and put it in the kit. Right. So little steps, little steps make a big difference, don't they? They do. And I love that you mentioned the coffee because I think we talk about the coffee example. <laughs> And how much that actually adds up yeah. over the course of the year. Or smoking, yeah. Or we didn't even touch smoking or drinking. <laughs> yeah, and we also talk about, you know, your choice for a new car versus versus an old car. Now, both yeah. of us have the preference to buy an old, an old vehicle um, because I don't want to drive off the lot and lose so much of the value instantly. Yes. Yes, right. it's a depreciating asset, a car. And we talk about the right. fact that, you know, you lose 20, 30 percent of the car value the second you drive off the lot. But I, I did want to address also your points there about paying yourself first. I think mm -hmm. that's critical. And then in Chapter 15, where is your cash going? We actually include in the book the budget game. Mm -hmm. And this game is really helpful, even when. It may seem counterintuitive and contradictory to your thoughts, but even when you have negative cash flow, you can play the budget game and actually pay off some of your debt quickly. Mm -hmm. Because what we advocate is shifting your feelings around money. Mm -hmm. And when you're slowly paying off even one of your credit cards or 
Maybe you have a car loan or maybe it's a bike loan, something really small, right? Start there with the smallest one. And what's happening is you're shifting your feelings about money and it's becoming a game. Yeah. And instead of your feelings are of worry and, and fear and scared, you're, you're shifting your feelings to fun and expectation. Mm. And then what happens? Money becomes fun and positive expectations happen and then more and more flows in. Yeah. You never know what opportunities are going to come up along the line, right? You know, we go through life and go, oh, I'd like to achieve this. I'd like to achieve that. And then we know that life has its own design for us, right? And it's going to put us on our own path. And when you get married, you don't think about divorce. You know, you've got three divorcees here, folks. And, you know, when, when you're in love, but you haven't done your due diligence, where you haven't had the money conversation, you haven't had the what about when we're retired, are we on the same agenda there, the working on each other separately uh, to bring the whole to together, you know, as a unity. And um, I think more and more we're seeing that kind of change amongst our younger people. They're not rushing into marriage. They're, you know, it's like I've seen my parents go for the divorce. I don't want to do this. But if we had all those conversations beforehand, you know, and hindsight is 2020, isn't it? I mean, right. you two are sharing hindsight right now. You're helping somebody before they get there. And if they're in the mix of it, of how to get out of it, right? Because divorce is expensive uh, on both sides. And it means that a certain lifestyle that you've had together, you can't afford that on your own. And so there has to be that mindset, okay, I'm divorcing, but what does this ripple down effect mean of I'm now having to downsize, I can't do the things I wanted to do be uh, before, and you can't be resentful of that. You know, if you're wanting to start again, you, you have to kind of come down to a different core. No, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, um, my divorce attorney had actually handed me a pin that said, Divorce is expensive. Freedom is priceless. Yes. I and agree. I quote that I quote her in my book, in the book. And I, I go on to explain that to me, what freedom meant was to be able to love freely mm -hmm. and openly mm -hmm. um, and talk about all things. And, and I very deliberately, I mean, and, and I think that that's my first book, this, this book about couples, but both of them are really talking about living deliberately. Mm -hmm. This is having deliberate, thoughtful conversations with your partner. Mm. And, and that's how I found my partner. And we, and he was on his own journey of living deliberately. And we've been together for 10 years and we talk about everything under the sun. And, you know, one of the first things we talked, one of the first things I asked him was, so when do you want to retire? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you want to do? Yeah. Because <laughs> he loves his job so much that I'm in his work, whatever he's doing, I know that he loves it so much that, you know, that that's a question. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we also know today that so many people who retire from the job job yep. now go and do something that they love to do. And they right. could be equally as busy, but it's a passionate you know, purpose that they're doing. And, you know, and it's really great if you can include the spouse in at the same time and do it together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the great thing about what Molly and I are doing is we can do it from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You can coach, you can write books from anywhere in the world. So I've actually, 
in the last few months been traveling and coach people from where I, where I was traveling to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There is always opportunities. There is always an answer, but we can't see any answers if we're so wrapped up in the emotion or in the pain. And anybody that's in a relationship that's kind of going wrong or is having those issues, uh, the money issue has come up, that anxiety over the money is gobbling everything up. And it's very hard to have a conversation because you're both so sensitive. What would you suggest as that approach when you're both so highly strung, you've just been hit with this big bill and you don't know how you're going to pay it? You know, what it, how do you go around having that conversation that isn't going to spark fireworks? So we actually talk about, about this in, in the book. As I right. said, we, we talk about conflict as well as recover and resolve. So we give, uh, we give a very clear ideas of how we would do this, how we suggest doing this. And one of the big things is to, you know what, take a break, take 30 minutes. If you are right there at it, take 30 minutes. If you're triggered, my suggestion is take 40. Because yeah. triggering takes you to a whole new level. Um, but studies have shown 20 to 30 minutes is what you need to bring your heart rate down. You don't stew, you actually step away from it. Mm. Step away from it, go for a walk, go for wa watch a stupid TV show. I, I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever it is, it gets you out of your head of yes. what so make sure you do that. It brings your blood pressure down. It brings it brings everything down, brings your heart rate down. And it allows you to, to come back calmly. Now, if you need more time, take more time. My suggestion is even if you need a day, take a day. Mm -hmm. I um, My preference is to handle it before I go to sleep. Yeah. Have this conversation before I go to sleep or before we go to sleep. So, and, and if that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen. But you know, have the idea of when you're coming back, always know and check in with each other and say, I can't talk about this right now because it's going to become an unfortunate incident or an unfortunate moment. Can we please talk about this tomorrow or, you know, and set the date and time and be sure you're there. You are there, whether it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes or two days, make sure you're there and you're there, you're present and you listen. We have a couple different ones. One is, um, is it's a formula for asking, hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? First start with that. If you're in a calm state and your partner isn't, first ask, are you okay? Then listen, hear what they're listening and then ask how you can help. Mm -hmm. Don't jump in with the resolution because yes. we don't need a resolution. Mm -hmm. so we, just, we just need to vent that out. Or, oh my God, I'm so scared. How can I help you feel less scared? Well, you can maybe not spend money without telling me. Maybe we can discuss this, you know? And we, another one, when you know, things are a little bit more heated is, is, to, is to say, I feel. And, and start with your, I feel. I feel mm -hmm. a thought. I feel, and then add three words, three adjectives, so that you're owning your own on it you're not making it about that it's not they're bad they're right blah 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 no no, no. i feel scared when you spend this way i feel worried and insecure and unsafe leave it tap it off at three where your feelings are have them repeat back what they heard in their own words i see you're feeling uncertain and once that happens once you get that understanding 
then find a resolution together. Yeah. A, a resolution would be that we talk about one. Do you find, because um, I have found this in, um, sorry, Jill, men receive things in a different way. <laughs> and I have found two things work. One, write it out yourself, all your frustrations, everything else, write it out. Then take a deep breath and reread it. Is that important? Is that important? What am I trying to say? Yeah. Then maybe write something out, either in a point system or in a way that is no blame, no shame, that this is where I feel we need to address. And I always found with, with my ex, give him it to read, let him digest it, and then we can sit down and talk. But it could never be a conversation without him first digesting that because it would always be fireworks. Have you found this works at all, Joel? <laughs> I haven't actually practiced that, so I, I'd have to defer to Molly. Okay, Molly, have you seen this before? I, I don't, don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Um, and I, I feel um, sometimes I, I don't articulate when I'm, when there's something that's bothering me, I don't articulate as well writing. Right. Really well writing when I'm writing about anything else, when I'm in a good mood. But if there is something that's that sticky, if you will, that that is that upsetting, then I can't articulate it nearly as well. And the, the nuance of my emotion or the nuance of my feelings don't come through in my pen the way um, my husband can see me mm -hmm. you know, face to face. He can, he can understand, he can see the anguish on my face as opposed to reading that. So I, I haven't actually tried that, but um, I mean, for sure, it's, it's definitely a way because a lot of the emotion out of it. Yeah. Because I think, you know, if you spend your emotion of your frustration, spend yeah. it, right? Yeah. And then it's spent because it's it's there for a reason. You're agitated, you're angry, you're upset. You have to get rid of it. You can't suppress it right. because right. otherwise it will come up. So spend right. that emotion, but don't become emotional about it. And, right. and then it just kind of filters down. Okay, I've got rid of all of that. And now what really is important and how can we address this? And right. you know, I think either, you know, whichever way you do it, I think both of people need to kind of, if it's a jog, if it's beating up the, the punch bag or, or writing it out or whatever it is, go and get rid of the frustration because otherwise you will get rid of it on each other. And that's right. just adding to the pile and then be able to come with a more rational mind. Okay, we're in this. What are we going to do? Right. Well, we actually in the, sorry, Molly, in the, in the book, we actually give after the emotions chapter, we have three specific emotional scenarios in the book that we go through. Go ahead, Molly. No, I, I was just going to say, that's why we say take the 30 minutes, take 30 to 40 minutes yes. in a day, you know, just to get, to get that out, to let it come out and not with each other. You take the break away from each yes. other so that, you know, you're not stewing about it, even in the back of your mind. I think one of the big things that is very, very important is don't have the money conversation, especially if it is one where you're trying to find money for children's programs. Don't do it in front of them because it's like, I don't know, how are we going to put her in this class or how is he going to join soccer? How is he going to do that? Where is the money for it? Because the kids don't understand and they're going to feel kind of guilty or, you know, mom and dad are upset. I'm going, I want to go into soccer and they're going to start suppressing things. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a good idea for them to value. It's been budgeted for them to go in there. 
right? That understand that this isn't just, you know, a free for all, but the having that worry money conversation around children is subliminally going to start having them worry and they don't even know what they're worrying about. Well, I mean, sometimes it's good to let them know that they have choices. We all yeah. have, you know, my parents definitely let me know that I had choices. I could, I could have my dance classes or I could have the super fancy jeans. Right. And I dance classes because, you know, experiences were more important and dance was more important to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's yeah, exactly. We we actually talk about in the, the kids money chapter, if when it's appropriate to talk to the kids about money and, and actually, we say if there is some major issues around money, for example, you know, one of the parents lost a job, mm -hmm. and you have to cut back, explain to the kids why this is happening, and they get, you know, have them choose like kind of like with Molly choose what your priority is. You can't do, you know, you can't get the fancy jeans and go do the dance class, which would you prefer? So have the conversation with them and explain, you know, we're, we're cutting back a little bit, you know, one of us lost a job and we're, we expect to get a new job soon, but this is going to be temporary and, you know, but be, be open and honest with them. I think that's the best policy with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that, um, you know, when you're anxious, the kids pick it up. And they, they just don't know, they, you know, but they always kind of take it on that it's something they've done, right? So being open and honest with your children, you know, depending what level of age they're at is very important. And, you know, if they are teenagers, okay, you want that new game and then you can go and deliver newspapers. You can, you know, go and do a job, work at McDonald's or whatever the case is and earn it yourself because it's over and above what your you know your your weekly money is and i think that teaches them the value i know when my daughter first had her first paycheck and she went shopping and she realized she bought three things for 70 dollars. it was a shock because <laughs> she thought she was rich and then she only had three things for it and had gone like that and it was a wake-up call for her completely but they need that though don't they they do need to understand that yes, it's great to spend when it's not your money, but when it's your money, it's a totally different ball game. You get to see that with, with kids, definitely. But we do, as Joel said, we do recommend that you're honest, um, not necessarily fretting in front of them. Right, but, yes. But certainly um, open and honest, um, as my parents were with me when my dad was um, laid off. And it was, well, he, you know, Pop's laid off right now. So here, here is the choice. You know, and of, of course, I, you know, wasn't going to, if I had the opportunity to continue dancing, I was going to do that. Right. Yeah. And if you had the genes, then you would have to live with that. Right. <laughs> Lesson learned. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. We, we talk about allowances in that mm -hmm. chapter. We talk about choices, you know, kids education versus retirement. And, and also I, I have two specific stories, real life stories about each of my daughters in that chapter about money choices. Yep. Mm. I think one of the big lessons for children is that, you know, they see the glitz and the glamour, you know, or people kind of flashing this and that on social media. And they think, oh, if only I had money, I'd be important if I had this or I'd be important of that. And it's very easy then to get into a slippery slope of, um, you know, either debt or maybe going down a road to get money um, that you, sh you know, a road you shouldn't be going down. 
credit card debt. Many of all had it or have it, um, and interest rates are enormously high. I just got mine reduced by 6% and I'm happy about that because that's 6%. Um, what's your opinion on credit cards when sometimes it's just necessary? You know, how do you manage them into a point where they don't suddenly become, oh my God, explosive? Yeah, so chapter 14 is called, Is Credit Good or Bad? Mm. And in Infinite Love and Money. And so we talk about the fact that credit can be good. You know, if you're borrowing and then investing at a higher rate than you borrowed at, great. But if you're borrowing to create a perceived happiness mm -hmm. in your life, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow because I really don't have the money to go on vacation, but I'm gonna borrow on a credit card to go on vacation. Well, you know, there's not really good. I mean, it may be a perceived happiness for that short right. period of time, but you can create happiness other ways, right? So, you know, the idea is what's the return on the investment? Mm. Right? If you're borrowing at 18 or 22 or 25%, you should get a return on that that's higher. Yeah. If you can borrow at, at you know, we, we, we give examples in the book right now in the United States. States, the the home equity loan, for example, when we were writing the book was around 3%. Mm. So you can borrow on your home equity loan and find some nice investment that's generating 10 or 15%. That might be a pretty good idea. Yeah. But you can't do it with the credit card debt because it's probably pretty hard to find an investment generating 25% a year. Yes, I know my, my brother bought a house on a credit card. <laughs> what? <laughs> you should have got a loan instead. Um, but yeah, it's it's easy with the credit card, isn't it? Because, you know, you go, okay, I've got that limit. And the next thing you know, they've upped it and they've upped it. And, uh, and I'll just put it on the credit card. And a lot of places only take credit cards, especially if you're traveling. So yes, have one because you do need it, but make sure that you pay it down every month so that it's it's not accumulating, right? So and, and and if you like you said earlier, if you do have credit card debt existing or multiple credit cards, then play the budget game. Mm -hmm. Go 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 to chapter fifteen and play the budget game and get get that down as soon as you can. Yeah, yeah, because we don't see that interest payment on it. Right, you think, oh, I, I got a deal on Amazon for such and such. Yeah, but there's 25% on added on that that you're not seeing, right? And we don't see that. Um, whereas if you are paying something by debit or by cash, you know exactly what you're paying for it. So um, it's a good idea to do. And yeah, if you have a credit card, you know, with most, I don't know about the States, but most cards nowadays are, are debit visas or debit MasterCards. Um, so they can work in both ways anyway, but you can only spend what you've got, which is a good idea. Yeah, we had the story for one of my daughters, Morgan, was the difference between debit and credit. And we, we actually, last summer, we were in uh, Wildwood, New Jersey, and she was going to buy something for herself. And she had, she's 15, and she had her debit card. And she, she had on her phone, her account, and she was actually excited to see when she made the payment that her account went down by that amount. Wow, look how quick that was. <laughs> and then it was a great 
opportunity for a lesson about the difference between debit and credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how quickly it goes down. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know one of your other questions that you have is why is it important to understand where your cash is going? Again, um, I actually prefer to play things on debit because when I look at my account, I know what I'm spending. When, when you're spending cash, it's like, where did I spend that on? I had a hundred bucks in my purse. And like, what did I spend it on? And you can't remember. So, you know, um, monitoring how much you spend, because it's easy. It's easy. You go to the grocery store, everything has gone up, everything is more. And it's like, where did I spend that? So how do you monitor your money? How do you keep it, it, it tabs on it? You know, in the, in the chapter we go through and we explain this, by the way, many of your listeners and people watching may know that more than 80% of millionaires budget. So if you want to be like a millionaire, budget. And they know where their money's going. Most yeah. of them are entrepreneurs and they have apps. They have, they may use a spreadsheet, but a lot, you know, there's a lot of apps now. There's QuickBooks, there's Mint, there's other apps that you can use that easily track your expenses. Mm -hmm. And it's important to know because you want to know where the cash is coming in and where the cash is going out. So you have a good idea because if you don't know where the cash is, it's going to be really tough to be financially free. Yeah. And, you know, going back to having the separate accounts, you know, if you want to go and treat yourself to something, you, you don't want your spouse looking, well, what did you spend that on? You know, it's like, it's your treat. You're spending it. You know why you're spending it, right? Uh, but again, your accumulated fund, you don't just go and spend from there willy-nilly because you know that is allocated money. Um, what you do with your own money, as long as you can allocate, is really up to you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, that that was actually, I think, a quote from the book. So I think I think you're, that's, you're remembering exactly from the book, Sarah. So yeah, we get we went through that scenario and we talked about the fact that, yeah, you know, and, and if you want to spend on your spouse, it's nice to, or your partner, it's nice to have your own account. So they don't necessarily no, know exactly how much that those earrings were yeah. or, you know, that guitar was, you know, so, you, you know, you, it's good to have separate. I, I mean, at least what I did in my past marriage, we had separate accounts and we had the joint account. So in case I wanted to do a nice splurge and, mm -hmm buy nice earrings or even maybe even a weekend getaway. Like she doesn't need to know exactly the right, right amount. Exactly. I think one of the very, very important things, and I know I went through it with my manager where um, I was, I felt more, I was a dollar sign than I was anything else. Um, if I volunteered, why aren't you making money? If I made money, well, what about the children? And it was always like, you know, where's the money? Where's the money? And, I think one of the things is that know where your money's going, know what you're putting by, know how to plan your money, but never put a dollar sign on each other. Never. Whether somebody's earning more or earning less, because that is a killer in any relationship. Molly? Absolutely. <laughs> I, um, my husband and I, we, um, we, should, we are very different. I don't know why we decided to do this, but we absolutely decided to share, just pull everything together. And so everything is going. Um, and, and we don't, we don't, I am the entrepreneur and the person who works the, the normal job. Um, but neither of us um, certainly never feel like one of less value than the other. Yeah. You know, it is, 
we are both of equal value and we both um, have learned, you know, through through my study and through the books that I've written and, um, you know, the work that we do together on our relationship, and we continue to build each other up. Yeah. Because there's no point in tearing each other down because, yeah. you know, you are, a, you are a unit and when you tear one down, we both go down. Yes. Build one up, you both go up. Mm -hmm. So in value, in esteem, in feelings, in emotions, in the building of your bond together, you know, so that that's absolutely, um, yeah, it, it's definitely value is very different than your financial status. Yeah. When, when you look at the infinity sign, you know, it, 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 there's two different things that joined in the middle. And, you know, it's when you, I'm a Libra, so the scale, right? And what I don't want is extreme ups and extremes downs. You know, life is about fluidity and that scale is just going up and down a little bit at a time. And that, that's fine. You've got to be flexible. You've, you know, the wind is always going to blow you in a different direction. If you're rigid, you're not going to be able to cope. So that flexibility always to be in there. But what you want to avoid is the extremes because those extremes are always the hardest to navigate. Yeah. They're the hardest to recover from. Yes. And, and, you know, however much you love someone, you know, when, you're, when you've been hit with a whammy like that and you haven't gone through the process and you haven't really looked at it, the blame game will come out. And the yes. moment it does, that's chipping away at the relationship. You know, you don't love me. You don't see my value. You don't see my worth. You just see the money, you know, yeah. the spending on the children or this or that you know it's not everything's the dollar sign and uh, so yeah it's that's a come to a relationship knowing your worth but also make sure you honor each other's worth in that relationship right yeah. money is a tool it's a tool it's an energy but it is not a definition of who you are yeah now i'm the prosperity coach but i'll, I'll say send the heart instead of the dollar sign I agree. to yeah. each other mm -hmm. yes yeah, I mean, the money allows you to go and do things that ignite your heart even more so. So if it feeds the heart, you know, it feeds the love, it feeds that that love prosperity, you know, for forward, then spend it. But if it's going to put a burden or you start looking at each other with, you know, that dollar sign or the guilt or the blame or the shame, rabbit hole, very hard to get out of and, and will always leave a scar. So don't go there, please. And your book is a wonderful guide not to go there. The love is your, your currency. The money is just something that feeds that currency into security or into, into possibilities. Know what the money stands for. Money should never be the main currency. Right. Very well said, Sarah. Awesome. So, so this book definitely needed so many people need it um you know i'm as i said i know somebody right now going through the whole divorce thing and it's painful and it takes time and there's all sorts of stuff going through there um it would be great if you could sit down with the the spouse you're partying with and have that conversation of okay let's take our feelings aside from each other this hasn't worked but in this separation, how are we going to do it? That it's going to be a nice equal equilibration. So whether you are together and love has run, won the day or whether you're separating, that conversation still needs to be had with respect, with clarity and with definition. Agreed. 
So where do people get the book? Oh, it's available on Amazon. Um, we have the, the Kindle version as well as the paperback. Great. And so it is called Infinite Love and Money. You've got the infinity sign right there as well. And we all need that. Now, Molly, how do people get hold of you and what do you have to offer people? So I do love coaching, a lot of couples coaching. So if anyone wants to come uh, direct to me for couples coaching, you can reach me at mollysingh.com. That's M-O-L-L-I-E-S-I-N-G-H.com. You can reach me at molly at mollysingh.com or, or contact me through my website. Excellent. And Joel, how do you help people out? Yeah, so I'm a prosperity coach, but if if people want to do a joint coaching with both of us, if you're a couple, you know, you can come to both of us and we can help you uh, go through the exercise in the book. And, you know, our, our goal is to help as many people become financially free and, and keep their marriage going. So, or keep their relationship going. Um, but yeah, you can reach me at Joel at Salamore. That's S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. It's named after my daughters, Lauren and Morgan. And my website, salamore.com, S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. Excellent. And please come back and listen to Joel's show that he did with, with me a few weeks ago. A great deal to learn there. You know, we all need money like we need air. It is our transaction. It, it puts the roof over our head, the food in our belly. It, it is that currency that allows us to move forward in life. But love in no matter relationship with other people, relationship with self, relationship with life. Love must always be the number one currency. It must always be the energy from which you come from. And the reason why we say that, because love has the highest currency ever, ever in the universe. And when you come from love, when you come from the heart with that pure intent, you know, the money is purely the, the, the tool which allows that love to grow even more so put it all in perspective right yes. come from the heart and you can't go wrong parting words molly um i should say you know what know yourself mm -hmm. be patient mm -hmm. and get to know your partner and continue to get to know your partner yes evolve with your partner right yeah evolve with your partner mm -hmm. joel yeah, no, I, I'm going to repeat what you said. It's, it's, you know, coming from the heart with love. And when you put that love out into the world, it, you know, law of attraction, it must come back to you. Love is the highest vibration, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And so, you know, that is the currency of which, you know, your dreams, your desires, and your abundance will come from. Yeah, that's the real intent. So love and money, folks, um, we can find a happy balance. And it, one can fuel a, each other, which is important. And so put it in its right perspective. Know who you are, why you are, what you want out of life, what you want out of a relationship and where the money fits, right? Have the Perfect. conversation. Don't be afraid of it. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here today, for writing the book, which is so necessary. Um, so many people are in rocky relationships right now due to money problems through COVID. And there's a lot of recovery needing to happen. So people need this book because it's just going to help them either prevent or, you know, um, keep get back on track or if they have come to the end of how to navigate from there. But it's a book that's desperately needed right now. So thank you for writing it. 
Thank you for having us on the show. We really appreciate you, Sarah. My pleasure, my pleasure. So folks, remember, love rules. Money is the, the water that will feed that love to grow. It's a tool. It, please do not ever put it out of perspective and don't be afraid to have the conversation. Until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.